Deuteronomy chapter 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, then it shall be, if she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some unseemly thing in her, that he shall write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her out of his house. When she has departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. If the later husband hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled, for that would be an abomination to Yahweh. You shall not cause the land to sin, which Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out in the army, neither shall he be assigned any business. He shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer his wife whom he has taken. No man shall take the mill or the upper millstone as a pledge, for he takes a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing any of his brothers of the children of Israel, and he deals with him as a slave, or sells him, then that thief shall die. You shall remove the evil from among you. Be careful in the plague of leprosy that you observe diligently and do according to all that the Levitical priests teach you. As I commanded them, so you shall observe to do. Remember that what Yahweh your God did to Miriam, by the way, as you came out of Egypt. When you lend your neighbour any kind of loan, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge outside to you. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. You shall surely restore to him the pledge when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his garment and bless you. It shall be righteousness to you before Yahweh your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the foreigners who are in your land within your gates. In his day you shall give him his wages. Neither shall the sun go down on it, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, lest he cry against you to Yahweh and it be sin to you. The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be, be put to death for the fathers. Each man shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, nor take a widow's clothing in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and Yahweh your God redeemed you there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field, and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go again to get it. It shall be for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When you harvest your vineyard, you shall not glean it after yourselves. It shall be for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this thing. It's the speech of Moses continuing in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And it starts out by talking about divorce. And it says that Moses um, said that if a man is displeased with his wife and finds something unseemly in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce and send her out of his house. And then it goes on to describe how 
whatever happens to her in the future, she cannot come back. And then in the book of, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is asked about divorce. And they seem to be suggesting that because Moses had said it was okay, he could write a certificate that divorce must be all right. And Jesus said, um, well, Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts. But it's not God's intention that from the beginning, God made male and female and they're supposed, you know, he, he invented marriage. And um, so some people think that God's okay with divorce. And, um, but no, it's clear that he's not okay with divorce. It's not his intention. And in fact, in Malachi, it's really clear in chapter two, verses 15 to 16, God says, I hate divorce. So it's worth paying attention any time in the Bible where God says he hates something. Now, sometimes people uh, find themselves in a position where they're divorced and it's outside of their control. Well, obviously, there's nothing you could have done about it. Sometimes people find themselves that they go through a divorce and at the time they, they participated in it, they chose it, but later on they deeply regret. They wish they hadn't have. They wish they had have uh, tried harder. Well, you've now had a change of heart and, and, and now the Lord's grace has come to you. And so you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, forgive me. I know it's something that you hated. Forgive me, I participated in it. Help me, give me the grace now. And so there's, there are many people in society who go through divorce. Some people say the divorce rate is 50%. It's not, That's a, it's an urban legend. Shanti Feldman has written a book um, called, I'm trying to remember the name of it, I think it's Great News About Marriage or something like that. The divorce rate is a lot less than 50%. And in the church, it's even lower again. You might hear people say statistics like, um, oh, in the, divorce, the divorce rate in the church is higher than in the world. It's not true. And you should ask them, where did you get your figure from? And ask them to show it to you. And most people will be unable to show you that figure. They've just heard it. They've just heard other people say it and they think it's true. Sometimes people will come up with a statistic, but when you look at the actual statistic, you'll realize that the statistic itself isn't worked out correctly. Shanti Feldman's book is really interesting. There's a lot less divorce that happens than what we think, but there are still in society a great many people that go through divorce. And even those who, who do have successful marriages, there are struggles. Um, because we're all individuals and we're all learning how to love people who are different to us. But that's what the Lord's grace is for. And so we ask the Lord, the Lord obviously hates divorce. He puts people in marriage and then sometimes people wonder why. <laughs> well, why, Lord, did you put me in this position where it's tricky? Well, you've got to ask for grace. And so it's, it's part of your sanctification as a Christian. And um, there's a book that I have not read, but I've heard many people talk about, and, and they say that marriage is designed to make us holy, and that's true. A marriage actually is holy. That's a New Testament statement right there. Holy means it belongs to God. So we get married, but the, the purpose of the marriage is to please Christ. So if you're in a marriage and you're struggling, your role in that marriage is to please Christ. Your role is to do what the Lord has asked of you, to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. And so by doing so, you'll please the Lord. You're not trying to do it to win the other person over so that they love you back. No, that's it's sowing selfishness, hoping to reap. And all you do is you reap selfishness. You reap them being selfish back to you. No, you want to sow generosity 
you want to sow selfless, selflessness, genuine selflessness, serve as Christ. Christ has been so despised by the church in so many ways, even though he's loved the church wholeheartedly. Think of how much the Lord has done for us and how little we do back for him. <laughs> it's, it's common. And so these are the things that in marriage. So we have this passage that seems to be approving of, of divorce. It's not approving of divorce. Jesus was really clear. The hearts of heart men are hard. They still are today, even though they were back then. In this chapter, it also talks about how there's kidnapping and slavery are wrong. And, um, there's, and there's also a law here saying that men who had just got married were not allowed to go to war. I want to talk about these two very, very quickly. If a young man was pledged to, to be married to his wife in Israel, and he got married, and then a war broke out, that young man was not allowed to go to war until he'd been married for at least a year. Now you'd say to yourself, why? <laughs> but personally, it sounds like a great rule to me that um, you know, young men shouldn't be conscripted. Say you have a war that breaks out, and they're conscripting men. There should be a rule that you don't script, conscript young men that have just gotten married. It's a great, great law in my opinion. But, but I think what's happening here, you imagine a society thousands of years ago in ancient times with no contraceptives and the man is, is instructed, he's required to stay at home for at least a year and cheer his wife, as was the, the turn of phrase that we just read. Well, what does cheer his wife mean? It means that they're going to make love with each other and in all, almost certainly, she's gonna get pregnant in that first year. And it obviously doesn't happen for everyone, but for most people, in, a, in an age of, of um, no contraception, there's going to be a pregnancy within 12 months. And so what this is ensuring is, if the man went off to war, there's a high chance of him being killed, but this is basically uh, one of God's ways of ensuring the continuation of the generations. And I think it's, it's very practical and a great thing to do. <laughs> we should have a law like that in our society. Uh, there's also a law that we very briefly passed over about kidnapping and, and you should not kidnap people and you should, should not sell them as slaves. And I think, um, whilst I'm not going to say a lot about this, that there, there's been um, a lot of slavery in the world right up until, um, until the t time of David Livingston, really. And um, there's still slavery in the world today and it, and it's, it has taken different forms and still a problem. There's still some actual official slavery in small places in pockets of Africa. But by and large, slavery as a formal institution is abolished. It's still here in, in informal ways. But you've got Africa where it was rife with slave trading. Now, particularly the Arabs. At the time of David Livingston, he knew that if he opened up the inland by exploring, that it would, um, it would help and it did it abolish the slave trade, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you've got passages like this in the Bible, like if you, you go back to the Civil War, like the 1800s in America, Abraham Lincoln's the president, and even though slavery was not officially the reason for the war, the reason those southern states broke away was because they didn't like the anti-slavery president that had just been elected, Abraham Lincoln. And, so slavery was an underlying thing there in that whole civil war, even though it wasn't officially the main reason. And so you've got African-Americans who were slaves at the time, and they would be required to go to church by their masters. Their masters were Christians, 
so you've got this funny situation where you've got passages like this in the Bible, which say, don't, you know, buy and sell slaves, don't have slaves. And you've got masters who are doing it. And you've got the African-American slaves themselves who are required to go to church. And they are very well aware of what the Bible is saying. It must have been very difficult for them. And it can take a long time to overcome the effects of that in culture. And so that's why I think today African-American people are still working it all through. And even the, the nation of America is still working it all through, what it all means and the implications of it. None of the people alive today were perpetrators or victims. None of them were slave traders or slaves. But the implications of it are still ongoing. But we've got the Bible word on it. And the Bible word is that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. There's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew or Greek, there's no African-American or white American, there's no African or Asian or Australian or, or European, and there's no slave or free either. So you come into Christ, you're a new creation. And um, as terrible as all the slavery was, and still is for those who are in it, I, I marvel at how the Lord can use evil things to bring good things. And one of the things that I marvel at is the Pentecostal movement, which came right out of that African-American culture. And you think about the songs that the African-American slaves were singing. You know, swing, swing low, sweet chariot, and you know, I'll fly away. And all these songs, they came from a real faith in the Lord. Because they were in slavery, they had nothing else but the Lord and each other. And so their faith was so genuine. And even in 1901, when the, the Holy Spirit broke out there in Azusa Street and the Pentecostal movement began amongst those African-American people, it's so wonderful and authentic and it's spread all around the world. And that African-American worship has changed the entire body of Christ. You can't go to hardly a church anywhere which hasn't been influenced by the worship style of those ex-slaves. And you know what? It was terrible that they were in slavery, but the, what the Lord, how the Lord turned evil into good is just incredibly amazing, and we all benefit from it. And so I just, these passages remind me that right from the beginning, the Lord valued all people. Um, but yet, even though men and women haven't all been treated equally through all time, the Lord still uses it for good. He turns evil into good. He's the most remarkable being that there is. He is truly our Lord and our God. So Father, I want to thank you for one hand, these chapters that show us the high standards of our God, the high levels of his love, these laws that he put into ancient Israel so that the right thing would be done and so that we could all learn what is right. But also thank you, Lord, that even though people haven't always done what is right, that your grace has flown to us. So thank you, Lord, we receive it. And I pray that your grace would continue to flow and bless the nations in Jesus' name. Amen.